Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the VPZD show. It sounds like an STD, but it's not. It's a show, right, Vinay? I think it's a show. I think it's a show. It's not a communicable disease. <laughs> not not yet, but it's not been yet. communicable because we're the number two science podcast I guess in the that's nation, true. We've been spreading. We've been spreading all over. <laughs> we're spreading faster than Omicron, if you put it that way. Yeah. Yes, yes, which says something. Uh, I, you know, I got to say this. So I'm Dr. Zubin Damania. I'm a uh, UCSF Stanford trained hospital specialist and podcaster. I run a podcast called the Z Dog MD Show. And you, Vinay, are? I'm Dr. Vinay Prasad. I'm an associate professor here at University of California, San Francisco. I'm a hemonc doctor, and I run a podcast called Plenary Session. It's the Plenary Session. It's a reclusive podcast meant for oncology nerds. Yes, cave dwelling nerds with you know science on the mind, and so science for mind, other yeah. people who are science minded, we what we like to do is we take the week's events and we unpack them in an alt middle kind of way, meaning we look at things holistically, we dig into the nuance, and we call out insanity where we see it, and we try to be as authentic and honest as we can, and notice our own biases, and hopefully you can start to recognize your own biases by understanding better how humans think and how we work and how we can look at data and science, especially in a fraught world like COVID. So that's right. Zito. We are a news show. This is a news show. You're going to get the news of the medical news for the week interpreted through our lens. And so hopefully it'll be of interest. Some entertainment value may be provided. I like to consider it a newsy show. Newsy. It's, it's newsish. Yeah. <laughs> I like to pretend that we're we're journalists running a TV show, but that's okay. Exactly. I can ha I'll have my fantasy. All right. So, you know what? Yeah, we yeah. we all need them. So, you know, I just I want to I want to start by with something, Vinay. I want to ask you a question and I want you to either talk me off the ledge or tell me if I'm critically thinking this through correctly because a okay. lot of people will share this decision point. Boosters. All right. So, we're in the middle of this, you know, potential upsurge in Omicron. We still don't know the deal with Omicron in terms of severe disease. We do know that vaccines so far, the two initial doses of mRNA vaccines or one of the J&J &J, do really protect against severe disease with Delta. And Correct. we'll yeah. likely do so. We'll likely do so with Omicron, but we don't know fully. Damn you, Bayesian. How dare you reason from past history? <laughs> All right, go on, go on. I hear you. Uh, uh, so my decision on... A personal booster. My wife got a booster because she's at Stanford and, you know, she's patient facing occasionally and just didn't want to get sick at all. So her reasoning was, I just don't, I, I want to boost my neutralizing antibodies because I don't want to get infected at all. I don't want to be out a couple of days. I don't want to have to quarantine. I don't want to do any of that. And if this lowers my chance for a few months by topping off the neutralizing antibodies, I'll do it. Okay, cool. I laughed at her and said, I don't need no stinking booster because I'm not seeing patients every day and I'm not traveling a lot and I have not had COVID, to my knowledge, I had the mm -hmm. two shots, but Should mine was in, mm -hmm. yeah, right, right. I, <laughs> that's right. I had mine in um, January was my last dose. So I'm about a, almost a year out now. And, um, you know, my kids are both vaccinated, um, not boosted, but vaccinated, and they got theirs um, recently. So the the now what's happening with me is we're seeing Omicron happen, and I don't care about Omicron personally. I'm gonna be traveling more, we're going on vacation, but then I have these elderly parents who are both mm -hmm. vaccinated and boosted with Moderna. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna be seeing them. And my dad is 81 and he's medically quite frail. And so, you know, like if, if, if he's got some lung disease, if, 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 I, if I can reduce my chance of getting even a mild infection, now we don't know that, you know, a booster's necessarily gonna do that, but it will top mm -hmm. off those neutralizing mm -hmm. antibodies, then I'm willing to take the hit 
to go ahead and do that. So I've scheduled myself for a booster later this afternoon. Mm -hmm. Now we'll see. Now, the other reason I wanna do it is because I don't think I've had COVID, but I could have. But mm -hmm. the third reason really is that I'm curious what the side effects will be for me since it's a half dose, 50 micrograms, and the second dose of the Moderna for me was incapacitating, like mm, fevers, rigors, chills, all I of that. I see, yeah. And the second so hundo. I, uh -huh. Yes, the second yeah, hundo the second dose. Hundo. So this is okay. This, this is, is a fifty. A this is a fifty. It's gonna slide down. Easy. It's gonna fifty. Yeah. The gl the glass is half empty, Vinay. So <laughs> I, I'm I'm just curious. So I'm well, curious well, what first you think of all, about my uh, reasoning. Uh, okay. Well, first of all. If you're going to want this kind of personal medical advice on this show, you're going to have to call my office and make an appointment. To say, <laughs> <laughs> I don't I do not do this for free, Z-Dog. I don't do this for free, okay? you got to call an appointment. Let's get an appointment get in my clinic. Okay, you want this kind Dude, of advice. Dude, i got to fill out a prior off to get a hematology, <laughs> a oncology Yeah, and also, uh, you know, you might, I don't know, you might have to submit, you know, you might have to have a hematologic oncologic diagnosis. I don't know. I don't know. I do. I do. So sorry, I forgot to tell you this. Okay. This is important. This is in your wheelhouse. So I did 23andMe a few years back. And okay, I don't know. Found, okay. And you found you had yeah. uh, you had uh, crusty earwax or what did you have? You had, had flaky I earwax? Had, yes, I had blonde pubes. Who knew? <laughs> I didn't know that. How would Apparently you ever there's a gene it? for that. Okay. Yeah. So no, what I actually had, which kind of surprised me, was I have, I'm heterozygous for factor V Leiden, which How is a clotting thing yeah yes. and i'm also also heterozygous for prothrombin 2020a 2210 2210 look at yes. you so you're too heterozygous well that's another conversation we'll have another day um uh this is also one of the reasons why we don't we don't advise rampant population genetic testing so okay exactly because you've exactly. never had a clot it, and you probably don't have anything it, i've never had a clot it generated panic in me but the thing is yeah. now that i know i have these clotting defects i'm i'm or propensity theoretically right mm -hmm. clinically we have no idea what it does because i don't have that history Correct. Well, but uh yeah. am i at higher risk for blood clotting with coronavirus infection and so another reason to consider well should i get a booster or not i'm 48 otherwise perfectly healthy don't have metabolic syndrome i'll be the judge right? of that z-dog i'll be the judge of that. <laughs> <laughs> i'll be the judge of that okay so uh, so so okay here's what i could say about your your the core question one um the way you sort of frame the decision is really well done and i think you know people will enjoy hearing you talk through that because i think that's how a lot of people should be thinking about these things um, two, uh, I just saw this morning a preprint from the UK group, and um, it shows the first ever estimates of vaccine efficacy, um, the uh, Pfizer, Moderna, um, and uh, uh, Chadox 2, which is uh, AstraZeneca, um, for Omicron. The confidence intervals are wide. You could park a school bus in them because, you know, there are very mm. little events they have so far. Um, they're not able to say anything about severe disease. They are able to say that it looks like to them that uh, vaccine efficacy for symptomatic disease is lower for Omicron than it was for Delta for all of these vaccines, including the mRNA vaccines. They also report in this preprint, preprint, big asterisk next to that preprint, they also report that among the people who had the third dose, the vaccine efficacy was higher. So that is their argument for why they think at least when it comes to symptomatic disease from Omicron, they think there is a case to be made for a booster. Um, this is not to say that we know for sure it reduces severe disease or hospitalization, particularly somebody of your age and the fact you're so healthy and you're not overweight. Um, but it does, I think, pertain directly to your question, which is, you know, are you less likely to spread it to your 82-year-old father? 
And I guess yeah. it, it, maybe it's slightly tangential, though, because like a real gold standard question would be, what is your propensity to spread, which would also include, I think, asymptomatic or presymptomatic disease. They don't have that data. Um, but it is a suggestion that you would be slightly less likely, I think, if you trust them and you assume there's no confounding, you'd be slightly less likely to have symptomatic COVID-19, a, a runny nose, maybe a tickle in your throat or something like that when you go to visit your father. So I guess I would say that um, overall, um, I think your decision is really reasonable and well thought out and fair. Um, I was going to say that maybe your boss will someday mandate it at work, but uh, you are your boss, so that's not going <laughs> to that's, that's not going to happen. Huh? Uh, and, and I don't believe in mandates, so there's no way my boss would mandate it because my <laughs> boss is a reasonable guy and doesn't want to lose me as an employee. And so I'll say this, yeah. So everything you just said makes sense. It, what, what's interesting is I wonder in that trial, that preprint data, yes. whether they controlled. So here's a question: like they say, okay, this this has less efficacy. Talk slow, talk slow. Let me pull it out. Okay, yeah, okay. okay. Uh, do they have efficacy? So when you're talking about efficacy against Omicron, one of the questions that I would have is, did they, when they compared it to Delta, did they also adjust for the time since the last vaccine dose? Because we know that these vaccines wane in neutralizing antibodies over time. So if you're testing against Delta and that was in the summer, then that's gonna give you one answer versus now when immunity might've waned even further in the absence of a third dose. So that would then confound your experience with Omicron unless you're comparing chronologically concurrent timing with Delta. So that would be Look a question that I would have. That's a really good point. You sure you're not? You, you sure you don't want to come do some research? You, we have some spots you, on my you, team you, open up. <laughs> you know, you know what? You know what delights me is uh, it. All, it always delights me at how surprised you are when I say something that like actually is analytical. <laughs> no, I. You're always like, look at you, guy. There you go. <laughs> I know you're smart. You're a smart cookie. Okay, so that's no, a, that's I'm a super, off my rocker. That's a super point. And actually, let me try to uh, rearticulate what you said for the listener. I think what what Zubin is saying is that. Um, the people who are exposed to Delta, they must have been exposed three months, four months, five months, six months after their initial vaccine series. So if the vaccine is waning over time, they're seeing this virus a few months afterwards. The people who are exposed to Omicron, it's going to be eight months, nine months, 10 months, 12 months after the initial vaccine series. So it's going to have waned naturally, even if the vaccine efficacy would have been the same had they been exposed to the same virus at the same time point, right? That's an excellent point. And I guess mm. I think... I suspect that they didn't control for that. I'm trying to pull up the paper, but I can't even find it. It was in a sea of Twitter It's nonsense. tough. It's going to be it's tough, tough to dig it's through tough for to that. Okay. Yeah. But I, so I suspect they did not control for that. But I also suspect maybe another way to flip it on you is that the relevant question you're facing right now is what is the efficacy of the vaccine having had gotten it you know, all the way in the spring last year? So maybe the numbers they're giving you about vaccine efficacy, maybe you're right. It is incorrect to draw conclusions about whether this virus is more likely to escape than Delta. That's an incorrect sort of claim because there are different time points that these are that you're coming to contact with them. But maybe it is fair to say that whatever the vaccine efficacy is right now for Omicron, that's relevant for your decision making because that's what that number is right now. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and you know, this actually this digs to a deeper point, which I've been thinking about quite a bit lately, which is the communitarian benefit of vaccination. Because if if you if you're listening to the mandate folks and the people who are wanting this kind of top down like uh, control, like, you got to get vaccinated for the sake of everybody else. Then you're assuming a couple things. One is that the vaccine is going to reduce your ability to spread this disease to vulnerable people. And I think the second assumption is that by vaccinating yourself, the community benefit is you won't overwhelm the hospitals with your, you know, dilapidated body when you get severe disease because you didn't get vaccinated. And I think both of those assumptions. Are you talking about the boosters or you're talking about the primary series? I, you know what? Let's let's say all of it. Okay. All of it. Because the primary primary series and the booster. So the presumption with boosting and with primary series is that you, you're when you're neutralizing antibody levels are high, your infection risk is actually lower. So, you know, like in the early days, pre-Delta, in those early studies, wow, 90% reduction in symptomatic infection. Wow, that's really good. Well, high levels of antibodies in a fairly low R-naught variant. But then that starts to shift. So now the question is, in the setting of waning immunity, is there still that community benefit to, to transmission? And it may be less. So do boosters help that? Well, if they do, they may only do it for a few months like the original because the neutralizing antibodies will likely wane again, we think. So that that becomes a less compelling case as a community benefit. And then as a community benefit of severe disease, it comes to the question that you raised last week, which is, do hospitals have surge capacity to handle you like they do during severe flu seasons when they have to mobilize everything and they go into surge mode and so on? You know, we I, I lived through swine flu. We had to do this. It was brutal. We would cap every night. We would overflow. We would hospital be on divert. And that was swine flu in 2009. So, the, you know, that question becomes real. So let's say hospitals have the capacity to surge. And let's say that there isn't a big reduction in infection. Maybe it's like threefold reduction instead of, you know, tenfold or something. Well, the argument then becomes, well, this is now an individual decision because the main benefit of vaccination is for you. And if you really want to protect yourself against COVID, you can get vaccinated and you can wear a N95 or a surgical grade mask and you're, or you can not go into crowded situations. For everybody else, they can take their risks and the hospitals won't get overwhelmed and there's not a damage to other people. So why are we mandating anything? Open up entirely, stop all restrictions, give people all the education they need to get make the right vaccine choice and let them make decisions. So I'm curious your thoughts on this. Well, I guess I am. Uh, I, 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 I like the way you're thinking about it. I don't disagree too much. I mean, what would I say? I guess I would say that, um, you know, one of the, I mean, what are the, what were the reasons that justified, I think, the initial push for mandates? And I think there are a few things that we thought were true, or at least people widely proclaimed that would be true, but they have since fallen into question. One is, um, I think initially, especially in January of this year, there were many people who believed that when we hit a certain threshold of people who had natural immunity or were vaccinated, the virus would fizzle out, the so-called herd immunity, the R coefficient would be less than one, and it would sort of extinguish itself, much like you know the measles has extinguished itself. However, I think with the rise of Delta, we saw very clearly that there probably is no threshold, and certainly with the rise of Omicron, there is going to be no percentage by which the virus halts transmission. It's just going to keep, it's going to be endemic. It's just going to keep circulating and eventually you're going to encounter the virus. So I think one of the reasons to push very hard to go from whatever, 60% to 66%, that's been removed from the table because nothing magical is going to happen at 66%. That didn't happen at 60%, right? So that community right. benefit is removed. The next thing is, 
I think there's remarkable uncertainty around transmission, I think. Much more, you know, I think initially many of us were quite optimistic that the vaccine would dramatically reduce transmission. But I was recently trying to find the figure, you know, people say, um, I mean, one of the talking points of people who are critical of vaccines is that you can still spread this whether or not you're vaccinated. One of the counter arguments I hear is that, yeah, well, you know, I can play tennis and so can Serena Williams, but that doesn't mean we play the same, right? You know, it maybe <laughs> it's substantively lower after you're vaccinated. And I spend a lot of time trying to find how much lower it might be in the modern moment, you know? And I had difficulty finding that figure because I'm not sure we have like a really perfect study that assesses that. So I think there is some uncertainty around what is the point? What is the point estimate and confidence interval um, around a reduction in transmission? I think mm. if you go back to the original randomized control trials, it is clear that there was a big reduction not only in symptomatic COVID nineteen but also severe disease um, in those initial randomized control trials. I think it is a fair inference that vaccination will confer a personal health benefit, as you're pointing out, and that's why that's the strongest reason to do it for yourself. But when you talk about mandates and the, and using the power of the state to compel you, I think that should be done if the state believes that there's a collective interest. I mean, we don't mandate people to not smoke. I mean, we try to discourage it, but it is mostly a personal health choice. I mean, there is some secondhand smoke questions that are raised, but, you know, we, we protect for that. You know, you're not allowed to smoke in restaurants, et cetera. Um, but, you know, we mostly don't prevent people from doing things to their own body that may or may not be deleterious. So I don't think that has – so I think you're right in to say – that if you're going to mandate, you have to make the case that there is some broader community benefit and that outweighs your individual freedoms. And I guess since we've taken away the assumption that there's some magic herd immunity threshold, since we're not really sure about what the pandemic trajectory would be with or without the mandates, your point is the third thing might be like you might be less likely to overwhelm hospitals. Um, and your point is well taken that, well, you know, that depends on their capacity. And that's also, you know, never been sort of a reason. The overwhelming hospitals, that's also a little bit new because, you know, one could argue that um, if you allow people to drink alcohol, you're going to have more alcoholic hepatitis. Um, but that's that and that could overwhelm a hospital if, you know, people started drinking all of a sudden. Um, but that's never been a reason why we discourage alcohol. Now, of course, Alcohol is not a communicable disease. Well, maybe to some degree it is communicable, actually. <laughs> it's by, a social disease. It yeah. is a social disease. There's some work by Nick Christakis on that. But it's not the same sort of exponential explosive thing spread. Um, I think my overall view, having rambled on for a long period of time, my overall <laughs> view is that in order to use the brute force of the mandate, the state needs a strong, compelling reason with little unintended consequences and they need to know with some confidence that the mandate has a net health benefit that outweighs the loss of liberty. And in this case, I've always struggled with that, and I've always kind of been apprehensive because I haven't felt that we met that bar. And certainly where we are in this moment, I, I, I don't think we're there. And so I wouldn't do the mandates. I worry about the unintended consequences. I worry about a two-tier system of society where we marginalize people who are unvaccinated. I worry that choosing to be unvaccinated, it's not all your own decision. It's a product of who, you were, who you're friends with and where you were raised. It's political. There's a political valence. So we're picking on people who are not in our political party. Um, uh, it, it's more likely to hurt um, people of different races who have higher rates of unvaccination status, um, more likely to hurt children. And so I really do worry. So I, I guess, yeah, I'm critical of mandates. 
Yeah, no, that that's a good that's a good way of looking at it. And I think, you know, it's funny because really good people who think very clearly can disagree on this topic. You know, Monica Gandhi, Paul Offit, they disagree, they like mandates, they think there's a community benefit, they they do weigh the transmission risk and the hospital overwhelm. I'll say one last thing about this, and that is if this were like measles, where uh, vaccination will give you sterilizing immunity and it's, you know, long lasting yeah then that's one thing, right? Then then you could really argue, okay, there's a benefit here and that's you could reach saying. a herd yeah, immunity. Exactly what you're saying. But now what it's more looking like, and this is a terrible, uh, terribly fraught connection to make, but it's looking like we're turning this into more an influenza. And why a respiratory pathogen for which we have an imperfect vaccine that doesn't necessarily prevent infection, but may prevent severe disease. We don't fully know with influenza. And, um, and we don't, you know, again, it, it's yearly. It can overwhelm hospitals intermittently if they don't have good surge capacity. But again, we don't shut down society for it. We don't, as we transition from an, to an endemic virus with this, if it's not there already, that's what coronavirus is starting to look like. So I think mandates for that become very, very uh, fraught and tricky. Whereas mandates for you know measles, mumps, rubella, that's a that's a different subject. One more point on that, you know. One of the things I think was always different about the measles comparisons that, I don't know, maybe we didn't talk about enough, was that um, by the time you developed the measles vaccine and you started rolling it out, how many years had human beings been living with measles? I don't mm. know the answer, but 1,000 years, 10,000 yeah. years, right? Something on that ballpark. When we moved into the coronavirus, the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine, how many years had we been living with the virus? The answer was eight months. And so, mm. you know, by the time you rolled out the measles vaccine— there's a huge chunk of people who've already had the measles, clear the measles, or immune to the measles. Measles has reached that sort of stable state population dynamic. And maybe in such a situation, you combine that with a vaccine that's strongly sterilizing, you can really drive it to near extinction. But in mm. our situation, where you have a huge bi 8 billion people, they've just met the virus, they're all unexposed, you have a vaccine that is, um, I think, good for severe disease, but leakier than we thought for sterilizing immunity. And it may have some uh, senescence. It may wane over time. Uh, maybe it's a totally different ballpark, like you say, a totally different ballpark. And, you know, we're always grappling for analogies, but it's, it's hard to even think of any analogy. Because even flu, like you say, you know, every time there's a new flu strain, there's a huge chunk of the population who's already kind of immune to flu because they met something like that flu in 19 diggity when they were around, you know, the older <laughs> people, they, you know, they met it before in 19 diggity and they got some immunity, you know. Um, so it's really tough to think of a, a truly apt comparison. Anyway. I, I, all, all I'm yeah. hearing is, you know, I like the way you work it, 19 diggity, got to bag it up. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think we, I think we've beaten this topic into the ground and I think it's, it's, it's a good discussion to have and more public health people ought to be having it because it does affect policy and outcomes like staffing in hospitals with mandates and, and reactants and damaging vaccine hesitancy for the future. And we've talked about it before. So, Hey, quick thing. Do you think, um, can I touch on the Rogan interview with uh, Peter McCullough real quick? What about the news? What about the newsy dog? <laughs> or do you want to do the news? No, 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 Let's no. Let's do the news. Let's do the news. Or you want to do the? You want to do the? the, the I'll, I'll tell you what. I'm just going to give you because I know people are asking okay. about okay. this. Yeah, I yeah, know they want to know. They want to know. So I, I just haven't listened to give them. I'm going to listen yeah, to it. Good, okay, okay, good, okay. good, good. I think that's even better because I only was able to get through 40 minutes of it. So Joe Rogan interviews Peter McCulloch, cardiologist formerly of Baylor, fired from Baylor, I believe, or booted out or something. He, they told him you can't even say our name, and he didn't. He was like, I was at a prestigious academic institution. So, anyways, this guy has. He's all not even allowed to say the name of the place he worked, really. Some I don't know. I don't know. I heard but it's I, all a pop. I know, but go um, ahead. It seems a, it seems a little. Uh, 
seems a little draconian. Let, <laughs> you know, let's just, like, okay, yeah. <clears throat> let's just say this. Let's just say this. Talk about a guy who's been silenced by the mainstream stuff, right? Yeah. So he already has the sympathies of a lot of people who are yeah. like, you cannot silence dissenting opinions on yeah, this I stuff, right? So that. that's fair. And I'm sure that's why Rogan had him on because okay. Rogan likes that kind of stuff. So yeah. long story short, you know, he's got all the check boxes for credentials, you know, the head of this, academic steering committee of that, and, you know, on the review journal, peer review of this journal and all the other usual jazz. So he basically goes on and his stance has been these vaccines are not a good idea. In fact, they're a terrible idea and that we should be using, listen to this, hydroxychloroquine. And we oh. thought that was mm. done, but it's not. Dead, so yeah. he's the first 40 minutes that I listened at three and a half X speed and it was still too slow, Rogan and, and McCall are <laughs> talking about it. Yeah, uh, it was was basically him starting out saying, "Listen, I don't think this is a conspiracy." Because Rogan was trying to goad him into saying, "Hey, you know, so do you think they're trying to stop hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and all these things?" And he goes, "No, no, it's not that. It's just you know, they're just incompetent. They're just not good scientists." You know, I was talking to Peter Navarro and I was talking to Scott Atlas, and this is what they were saying during Trump. They're like, "We're just not doing. We're not looking at therapeutics." So he starts to go. He immediately begins to go off the rails. He says, "There's no conspiracy." Then he starts pointing out all the conspiracies, and then a mysterious fire in a hydroxychloroquine. Uh, uh, plant and then why is it that you know the the narrative is all around vaccines? Well, they want the narrative to be vaccines. They don't want to talk about therapeutics at all. And in, in the early days of this pandemic, nobody was talking about therapeutics. And I'm sitting here going, wait a minute now. So you're saying, and he said, there's only there's only 500 doctors in the country who understand how to manage COVID, and we could have prevented 80 percent of the deaths that happened if we'd given early hydroxychloroquine. And ivermectin's good, but you have to give it you know BID or TID, so it's not as good as hydroxychloroquine. And here's all the same observational garbage data that they've been, oh, and by the way, did we mention that there was a fraudulent randomized control trial about hydroxychloroquine with surgisphere data being, and no one was talking about it. Remember this whole thing, Vinay? Yeah, I The surgisphere. What do you mean? I Everyone did, was and, talking about it. <laughs> exactly. He's like, no one was talking about it. I was like, I did a show on it with a uh, researcher from the Duke Clinical Research Institute in Pecori. I'm like, come on, we were all talking about this. So first of all, the guy is totally disingenuous. Second of all, he's a fake expert because he's a cardiologist, but he's like, well, you know, I, I also study epidemiology. It's like, okay, great, wonderful. Then then I'm an epidemiologist too, right? Um, number next. Well, that doesn't stop he, Topol. Topol is a cardiologist. He's expert <laughs> on everything COVID. He's quoting every news outlet. Doesn't stop him. All right, okay. <laughs> He's a he's a mediaologist. Um, he's a mediaologist, and I'm yeah. and I'm friends with Eric, so I, I I'm down I'm down with it. But yeah, totally. And so same thing, sort of. So he he starts to fit all the criteria for misinformation, fake expertise. Oh wait, let me. Yeah, go yeah, ahead, yeah go, go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, the point I uh, want to make is that I guess I guess I'm I'm a little stunned by the premise because I lived through those <laughs> I, I lived through those years, and last I checked, pre-vaccine. The only thing we were talking about was every was possible therapeutic under the sun. We were talking about every other word was hydroxychloroquine, lopinavir, ritonavir, tocilizumab, uh, seralimab. Um, yep. uh, what was the other stuff uh, that that Jack two inhibitor that was developed by Pfizer? Yep. We're talking about baricitumab or whatever. Uh, yeah. yeah, and then um, and then uh, convalescent plasma. Was it high yep. titer, low titer? The observational yep. convalescent. We talked about surgisphere so much that surgisphere guy had to go into hiding. They did a New York Times profile. <laughs> the dude had to go into hiding. I don't even know where he, he did. He disappeared. Indian dude. He's yeah. like every Indian uncle we've had. That's kind of shady. That tells you, you know? some bullshit story. Yeah. He's like yeah, every exactly. Indian uncle that told you know I invented the motorcycle. You know I invented the motorcycle. <laughs> You know that? I was like, did you? You invented the motorcycle? How'd you do that? You know, but, but, but Bill Gates took the patent and fata fata I was broke. You know, I invented yeah. it myself. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's, it's like it's, every uncle. But 
Meanwhile, there was that Harvard professor who, you know, he was like the first author on all those surgery papers. He just like, you know, deleted his Twitter account. He's like, whoo, let this <laughs> let this blow over. Um, so I guess I disagree with the and, and, and what about blood thinners? All we talked about was blood thinner, how All thin to make about. it, push TPA, oh, give TPA he, this way, that way, thin the blood, he, thinner, and, thinner, and, thinner. And he, and he brought that up. He's like, well, you know, this is a disease of microclotting. It's a disease of cytokine storm, and no one's talking about these three separate elements. I'm Everyone like, talk, that's, every, all that's all we talked about. That's all we talked about. So, yeah. so he continue. He continues yeah. to do this, and and then he gets even more off the rails. By 40 minutes, I had to turn it off because I was like, this is horseshit. And immediately, Twitter blows up with all these people. Z dog, can you speak to the very valid accusations that Peter McCullough is making about the you know the therapeutics? And I'm like, yeah, it's horse shit. And not only that, it's fucking hurtful to frontline medical professionals who were talking not only talking about it, they had huge Facebook groups where they're sharing ideas all across borders and everything trying to figure out how to save lives in the setting of something unprecedented in modern memory and this fucker goes on Rogan and Rogan Rogan who I love by the way is this is right up his alley it's all conspiracy it's all like people being silenced it's all about you know scientific sounding words that make sense <laughs> by a credentialed guy, and it's all fucking horseshit. And McCall gets away with it without completely unscathed by Rogan, and now a lot of people will believe that shit. So that's just wait, what more was of the, the same. Now what was the, the good part of the interview? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it seems, the best... seems like you didn't like it. You weren't a fan, huh? <laughs> No, the good part were, were the underwear uh, advertisements that Rogan intersperses through. Did he and, really? You know, the sleep number mattress and whatever sponsors. He doesn't do that. He all does all his ads in the beginning, I thought. Yeah, he does it in the beginning. But yeah, I listened to those because I was like, this is better than the interview. <laughs> well, okay, here's, here's my thoughts, I guess. I mean, I'm going to listen to this, although it's going to be hard to find three Maybe hours don't. this week. Maybe I don't know. It's I mean, not it's, worth I, it. I got a busy week, but it's hard to find three hours. Yeah. But I'll listen to like 10 times speed or something. Maybe I'll yeah, just yeah. I'll, I'll fall asleep with headphones on. Something, I'll, find get, I'll, find way, <laughs> I'll, find, I'll find a way to get some of this in. But um, my only thoughts are – you know, I guess I remember back in March and I know people were scared and concerned. And when doctors are scared and concerned, the reflex is actually to just to try, try therapeutics. That's actually like um, the sort of the human instinct. And I was always one of the people who was like, whoa, easy tiger, easy. Let's do randomized trials. And when, recover when recovery, the um, UK multi-arm large randomized control trial was run you know i i i thanked god for that you know that's that, that's going to give us some answers and it has given so many answers recovery and solidarity um yeah so i don't think that there was any like unwillingness to try stuff i think if anything we were too eager to try stuff and um the, i think the surprise was that vaccine trial i mean i don't know i guess people can you can say whatever you want but who i I remember on like what was it November sixth or eighth um, that they Pfizer put that press release out and they showed the Kaplan Meyer curve for the vaccine. It was amazing. I mean, who would have thought? Yeah, it was such a huge reduction in symptomatic disease. I didn't. I honestly, I wouldn't have guessed it would be so successful. I was skeptical. Yeah. Um, Me but, too. Publicly you know, I, skeptical. I was like, I don't think this course. is going to work. Yeah, of course. But I mean, that was a natural prior for the fact that coronavirus had never had an, uh, you know, yeah. an, uh, 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 a vaccine made. The fact that vaccine timetable is usually much slower. The mRNA product was a quicker way to get there. Um, it spared a huge uh, step in science development. Um, it was a success. Um, Anyway, so I think, and naturally, when you had something that works so well, why do you want to keep trying the thing that probably doesn't work? And then, you know, John Yonides and Catherine Axforce from Stanford did a meta-analysis of all the randomized control trials of hydroxychloroquine. There is an increase of death if you use it. Um, ivermectin, yeah. I think there's still ongoing studies. We'll find out. Most of these products, Which, we know one way or the other. Does it work or doesn't work? We have the answer for most of those products by now. 
And that increase in death is interesting because that's something he does not bring up. Rogan doesn't probe him on it. And, uh, you know, so, so, so the, I, and you can see my bias in this, right? Because people have been sending me this shit for the entire pandemic. And I have to spend my time and brain cycles watching stuff that I know by, I have a pretest probability of 95% it's going to be horseshit, especially if it's a fucking video from Rumble or BitChute or one of these other places. It, it's a 95 pretest probability that, that I can tear it apart within five minutes from any scientific standpoint. And I just, the last thing I want to say about this is it shows all the signs, right? So conspiracy-minded thinking, mm-hmm. a fake expert, mm-hmm. moving goalposts. So when they say, well, mm-hmm. but they, but I thought hydroxychloroquine didn't work. Oh, no, they didn't study it early enough. They didn't study it often enough. They, the randomized control trials were biased. It was all about promoting the vaccine, so moving the goalposts. Um, logical fallacies everywhere. Uh, you know, the, this, the whole sort of gamut of, tell, of tells, right? Um, now, you could say, well, the public health apparatus has moved the goalposts. Because at first it was like, well, we'll reach yeah. herd immunity. Then it's like, there's no herd immunity. <laughs> it's like, well, we'll at first we'll, it was we'll, like, we'll, don't you wear that mask, you fool? And then it was like, wear it, <laughs> wear it. <laughs> wait, wait, but I, I want one point about this. Okay, my point is, I, I honestly think that, like, I don't know. I, I'll, I will listen. But people who take very extreme stances, they really are killing us. Z in the middle. I'll tell you yeah, why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like. If you want to, like, there is a real issue that's going on right now, and it's part of my news lineup, which is myocarditis, men under 30, mRNA, Moderna higher than Pfizer. That's a real issue. And it is really hard to try to get a bunch of people who are scientists to have an honest discussion about this issue. And every time somebody comes out from, whatever, right field saying all sorts of nonsense about how we didn't give hydroxychloroquine a chance and there's some fire in a building— they are so deranged that it makes it so hard to have the real conversation we need to yeah. have because now it's all painted with a broad brush. There are people who think you should get a booster every week for the rest of your life. They're the good people. And there's everyone else who thinks anything other than that. And, and so I wish that, you know, we could have that alt-middle conversation on some of these platforms, including Rogan, That's- because I think Rogan is a thoughtful person. Why does he have to go to the extreme, have some alt-middle yeah. discussion? He, he really is. He's curious. He's open, you know, but he is, he has his own biases. And I think he's been stung by the kind of criticism and he's getting people on that then further confirm this. No, 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 I was right to question this. No. And um, so I, I think that's, you know, so that's a good segue into the news, man, because. Okay, um, into the news. Yeah, right, yeah. So I got my, I got my list here. Okay. But before we do the news, I got to give you one little update. There was Ooh. a conference this last week. It was the American Society of Hematology. And, uh. And Nerds. Uh, <laughs> me. Full disclosure: I, I did not attend in person um, uh, for a lot of reasons, but uh, that's that's separate. But my sources are there. The restraining know. order, probably. With the, with those guys. I'm not allowed to enter the state of Georgia. Okay, no, okay. Exactly. Um, but you know, uh, am I missing anything? Sorry, Georgia. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Am I mi- Atlanta? Okay, all right. Atlanta, December. Okay, fine. Whatever. Um, um, okay. Anyway, you know, yeah, yeah uh, I'll be there. I'll be there next year. It's New Orleans. I'll be there in San Diego. Um, okay. Anyway, Ash, um, my I have moles, and my moles infiltrate the organization. They're everywhere. You know, if you work in a major medical organization, you probably have my mole right there over your shoulder. But my moles tell me this. There were many events, particularly after conference events. Some of these after conference events were indoors. Um, Of course, Omicron, there's all the Omicron panic going on right now. But at these indoor after conference events, there were many parties, large gatherings, and nobody was wearing any masks. And this person says, it's the same people on Twitter who are like, you know, virtue signaling about how they're 
five-year-old should wear masks in school or a two-year-old should wear masks and tweeting about that kind of stuff incessantly. And then here they are in the middle of Omicron, you know, having some nightclub party, not wearing masks, not a mask in sight. Um, and I guess, and I guess my point here is just the following, which is like, I guess, and I'm curious what you think, which is like, um, uh, I don't blame him for going to the party. And if I were there, I'd probably be there too. <laughs> but, yeah. but the difference is I'm not a hypocrite because I, 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 I don't spend my time tweeting that toddlers should wear masks on Twitter incessantly or tweeting all the photos of me wearing the mask. I'm not a hypocrite. In fact, I don't think you'll find a photo uh, unless some paparazzi took it of me even wearing a mask. I don't tweet that stuff. I, I don't virtue signal. So I guess my question to me is, and the reason it irritated me was, I was just like, look at these hypocrites. They just go on every day. I look on social media and it's nothing but their, you know, virtue signaling. And then, of course, they go to the conference and they have a party because that's what people want to do. And and the people I really feel bad for is, I don't know, what about these elementary school kids in the San Francisco Bay Area, Z? I mean, you see them outside in the playgrounds. They're wearing masks on the playground at Palo Alto in San Francisco. It's mandatory cloth masking outdoors for elementary school kids. Now the vaccine is available, and the vaccine rates in this city, you know, we're gulping it up. This is San Francisco. Yeah, we're swallowing 90%. it. And yet there's no off-ramp. When will they ever give these kids a breath of fresh air outside? They're wearing a cloth mask. They're, du they're double-vaxxed six-year-old. The risk was very low to begin with. We have the German data now. Now the risk is even lower. They are wearing a cloth mask, the mask that didn't work in Bangladesh. They're outside where masks don't work at all. Meanwhile, the person who's tweeting about that is at Ash at a party, nightclub, no mask. Uh, come on. What are we doing? This is disgusting. Dude, I, I can tell you fucking right now, because now you've gotten me all pissed off, yeah, dude. Why'd you even do this right before we do the news? Because I'm fucking, my pump. blood pressure's like 300. I'm meditating all day, and all that does is unleash <laughs> the frontal disinhibition of my primal ancestral rage. Because when I go and I see, I know already, if there's criticism somewhere, and I look at the fucking handle in the description, there's 14 pronouns, a fucking hashtag BLM, and I and a masked avatar. And no, they, I know they changed for a fact. Their, they changed their name on Twitter to like first name, hat, uh, wear a mask last name they put the wear a mask in yeah, their yeah, name yeah, <laughs> yep 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 it's it's fucking it's pure virtue signaling and you know that that's the same person that if there was a black person crossing onto their sidewalk they would cross the street to the other side like it's the same person who's going to these parties at the thing and, and going to weddings and going to all the shit and not telling anyone Reaction and then virtue formation. signaling all over Reaction yeah it's totally it's, it's it's psychology 101 man hey listen I, I don't virtue signal I may vice signal a little bit like I may take, <laughs> <laughs> vice signal. Yeah, okay. I may take pride in things that I do that are oppositional and that's a bias I have. But man, we just need to stop this shit because it's it's, it's not helpful. Like Because the ultimate sufferer is the, the kid who's got to wear a mask outside during their childhood. The ultimate after sufferer is- After they're vaccinated. After, after they're, they're vaccinated. Double, and they're, they're five, vaccinated. Yeah, they're five years old. And they're five years old. They're what five. are we doing? They're five. They're five. Or I got an email after our last show from a medical student who was like, I sent this to my chair and it was basically like, what are you doing to our education? We have remote learning. We're all doubly oh, vaccinated yes. in our 20s. Remote learning is horse shit. If your yeah. professors are scared, they can fuck themselves. We're paying tuition for this shit. Yeah. And you're ruining our educations. We get one chance at this and you want to make shitty doctors. Fuck you. That's basically what they said. And I was like, good for you. You it are was a so great, canceled. It was a great email, but I'd hate to see their dean's letter. <laughs> oh, it's good. <laughs> exactly. Talk about retribution. 
Talk about retribution. Letter. It's a great oh, letter. It's a great letter. Jesus. It was, it was a, a letter, great email. It's a letter that I, I don't have the courage to write that letter. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I swear right? to you. I swear to you. I, I would fold like a I would Dude, totally I was like such, I was sup, such an obsequious piece of shit at UCSF when I was a student. Like I got, I got no. evaluations that were like one You're of the most. No. Oh my God. One of the most enthusiastic medical students we've ever had on obstetrics. And I was like, I fucking hated every minute of that rotation. And oh, that's not true. That's not true. You're like, I, I uh, wasn't. I have high enthusiasm would, would you on my personality if I score. I was able to retract this time. Thank you. <laughs> s- thank you for the privilege. Or oh, then you say, like, I, I learned so much today from the fact you you didn't say a word to me. <laughs> let me tell you. Let me tell you. Let me tell you yeah, something. Yeah. I, I wasn't the obsequious student. No, I was the student that didn't say a word. You know, I learned very quickly. Uh, students are meant to be seen and not heard. You know, I learned mm. that a lot in my life mm. early on. And so all medical school, I was whisper quiet. I'd listen to things that troubled me. And I'd say, no, oh, that's wrong. And I just swallowed. I'd swallowed. <laughs> you know, I was like, ooh, ooh, that's incorrect. Oh, boy. Oh, right. No, that's okay. I'm just going to let that slide. Oh, another one. Oh, God. Okay, I'll let that slide. <laughs> and then I thought, you know, when I become an attending, I'll be able to speak my mind. I'll be able to say oh, what I actually think. That. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck with that. <laughs> and then I found that that ain't true. That ain't true, my friend. I mean, you know, obviously, I, I uh, all my work that has pushed boundaries in any discipline um, has been as an attending. But you can't push it the way you want to push it. You always gotta feel how much you can push. And sometimes people ain't ready for the truth. You got only yeah. give them as much truth as they can take. That's that's that. If the truth is only the truth if it doesn't affect your bottom line, your income, your salary, your your w- way of life. Otherwise, it's not going to be accepted. You know. You know, and sometimes and, you know you have to. I mean, you should never lie. You should never take a stance that you don't believe. But you don't have to tell everyone all the truth all the time. You can give it slowly. Um, and yeah, so I yeah. think that's a strategy for a lot of these debates. Um, Wisdom. But, but your point about that, um, this student, I was like, I, I, you sent me a little bit of this email and I saw it and I was like, oh boy, <laughs> they, yeah. uh, they're cooking with gas. Um, but they were right. I mean, the student, everything the student said was right. I mean, it is, a, I mean, come on, you're talking about a 20 year old healthy person, double vaxxed, masked, double masked, and they're not allowed to get an in-person education. They have to get a remote education uh, for, mm-hmm. for this virus. Um, yeah. With, with, Give this, me a break. Uh, with this IFR and that age group. Really? Give me a yeah. break. Yeah. Give me Give a break. Me a break. And also, I really, Z, I really struggle with this. Like, um, if we are setting the precedent that a 20, like, let's quantify the numerical risk to the person from going on the wards or going to clinic um, for such a student, medical student. And that numerical risk, I don't know the answer, but somebody will, you know, it's got a, it's got a, it's a 0.0, put some decimals into that risk, okay? That's the risk that by doing that, going to work or going to class, they will have a bad outcome. And if what we're saying is the practice of medicine is a kind of practice where we can't ask we can't ask a student to take that risk, then how are we ever going to provide care in a real future in a, in, a, in a, not a real but in a subsequent future pandemic? This is a real pandemic, obviously, and future pandemics will be real. But in a subsequent future pandemic, let's say an influenza pandemic that's ravaging younger people, that's really where younger people have the highest IFR. How are we going to even have a hospital if we're setting the precedent that for this pandemic at this age, we can't even let them take that 0.00, you know, whatever risk it is, uh, it's going to be low after they're vaccinated and masked. It's ridiculous. It, it, you know what's insane is when I trained in the 90s at San Francisco General, uh, HIV was every patient we had. And we did not have 
good treatments or they were just coming online. And we took our lives into our hands every time we drew blood in the middle of the night because the nurses didn't do it. We had to get the blood if someone, if one of our HIV patients with, you know, crypto or something spiked a temperature in the middle of the night, you go and the patients may be delirious and agitated and you're trying to draw blood. And I can't tell you how close I came to getting needle sticks and all of that. And that was just a risk that we knew, okay, there's a chance that this training could take my life. And tell you one, be- was, one before, one more yeah. than like, I mean, yeah, that and that was the '90s HIV/AIDS. Let's go back, 1980s HIV/AIDS. A lot of the patients were sent to the NIH for investigational studies. And I have a senior mentor who told me he would resuscitate people with AIDS when blood, when they were exsanguinating, his hands were oh. covered in blood, and they told wow. him it could not be spread. They called it GRID, gay-related immunodeficiency. Yeah, gay-related yeah, immunodeficiency. That was yeah. what they used to, and they told him it wouldn't be spread by blood. He took that kind of risk. Um, you know, wow. this is pre-AZT. Um, of course, and I have been, I think, you know, needle stuck. Uh, you always think because you keep pressing your finger and looking at that little red spot. Yeah, um, yeah, but, yeah. Um, you, this is, a, of course, this is a profession where you have to take risk. I mean, if you're a transplant yeah. surgeon, you're going to prick yourself many, many times on hepatitis uh, needles. Um, if yeah. You, you got you to take risk. This is not a field for. This is not a no risk field. It's not a safe. It's not a safe field. It shouldn't be. It never was. It never will be. It's a noble field that goes back thousands of years. And a thousand years from now, this foolishness. It, it, I don't think it. It won't continue if they're going to want to call it medicine. I'm going to be yeah. something. Else. Okay. Anyway, yeah, back to yeah, the news. Back yeah. to the news. Back to the news. Yeah. By the way. Yeah. Yeah. How much time we have left? Okay, we got time for the news. We got time. Yeah. This is a news show, apparently. This is a news show. <laughs> <laughs> it's like CNN. It's like CNN. Well, oh, it, but yeah. I guess that is, newsy. CNN, is CNN a news show? Hey, mm-hmm. you know, news-ish. Let, let me be Governor Cuomo. You be Chris Cuomo for the next half of the interview. You be, <laughs> what, whatever I say, smooth it out. Smooth it out, okay? There, there it is. There it is. <laughs> what's, what's, uh, I'll be Chris Cuomo to you. What's it like being so smart and such a good uh, steward of your estate? Uh, <laughs> well, I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're asking the tough questions because uh, <laughs> it's not easy. It's a curse remember and a blessing. Remember when you said that uh, nursing homes cannot refuse a patient who was COVID positive, um, and someone said that might not be a good idea. Yeah, how, how'd that go for you? How'd that go oh, for did I mention I'm handsome? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh right. gosh. By the by the way, is she single over there? Is she single? <laughs> Creep. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Number one, <clears throat> we've had um, two new preprints. Preprint number one, myocarditis from the UK data. And this is an analysis by the Oxford group. They're looking at the United Kingdom data. They are showing you the rate of myocarditis after dose one, dose two of Pfizer, dose one, dose two of Moderna, and the rate of myocarditis after a diagnosis of SARS-CoV-2 infection. Okay. And they show if you're under 40. And the key figure, I put up a YouTube video on this, the key figure shows that if you are under 40, the risk of myocarditis from dose 2 Moderna is higher than the risk of myocarditis after a diagnosis of SARS-CoV-2. Oh, wow. So, so finally, all these people were saying, you know, they were dis- discounting this is a real safety signal. They said that no matter how bad it goes, it ain't worse than the disease. But now it is. We must say, if you're under 40... They didn't show men and women. If they showed men and women, it would be even worse for men. If you're under 40 and you're a man, dose 2 of Moderna has a higher risk of myocarditis than a documented SARS-CoV-2 infection. And that's also a documented SARS-CoV-2. What about if you included undocumented SARS-CoV-2s, that risk would be even lower. So it's definitely clear, no doubt about it, myocarditis dose 2, it's worse for myocarditis than the virus. 
Okay, that's point number one. Uh, yeah, point number that's two. That's important. That's important. That's important. And what's uh, and I'll t- I can tell you the solution is very simple. Point number two, yeah. Ontario province. Oh, everyone said, you know, um, we have to give the doses 21 days apart or 28 days apart because, quote, that's what they did in the trial. Uh, that's, that's, in fact, the position of Anthony Fauci. But the problem, the problem is that that's not what a lot of sensible people said. They said, you know, you can give everyone one dose now. You can space the dose apart. That's what Marty said very early on. Um, and, that's, um, and that's what the United Kingdom did. They spaced the doses apart. Now we know from Ontario province data, finally, myocarditis by the timing of the doses and um, mixing and matching doses. If you get um, Pfizer and then Moderna, you had, a, you had a very high risk of myocarditis on dose two. If you get two Moderna, it's a very high risk of myocarditis. Two Pfizer, it's a risk of myocarditis, but lower. If you get a Moderna first and then a Pfizer, that was the lowest risk of myocarditis. And the timing matters. If the timing was spread out to like more than 31 or 56 days, the rates of myocarditis fell. So finally, we have some real-world data that if you delay the second dose, which is what they're doing in Norway, um, you can have lower rates of myocarditis. So then putting all this together, my conclusion is this. Um, when it comes to adolescents and young men, uh, the question is always, how do you vaccinate them as safely as possible? And if there's two vaccination strategies that provide really good immunity, but one is a lot safer than the other, you'd be a fool to choose the less safe option. We now know clearly that Moderna is way more risky for men under the age of 40 or under the age of 30 than Pfizer. So you'd be a fool to give someone under the age of 30 a man Moderna. Give him Pfizer. We also know that spreading the doses apart will lower the risk of myocarditis. So you'd be a fool not to leverage that information, okay? And this is the policy of Germany, of Denmark, of Norway, of Sweden. To some degree, they've taken, they've taken some of these ideas. The United States and the CDC have not taken any of these ideas. This is the third rail of the vaccine discussion. This is why I think that Peter McCullough's are doing a disservice by talking about they're distracting us from what we should be talking about. We should be talking about ways to deliver this vaccination more safely. We have two great preprints. What are your thoughts? I, okay, <clears throat> if these pan out, uh, this is so. It's first of all, it's validating for someone like Marty McCary, who's been saying this from the beginning, and it's validating for everyone who's been questioning these sort of things because it this just makes sense from first principles. Moderna then Pfizer has the lowest risk. Why? Because initially you give the Moderna, fine. Then that second dose is what typically causes whatever immune reaction that can generate the myocarditis. Well, Pfizer is a lower dose uh, vaccine. So this this makes some sense. What's interesting is that Pfizer and Pfizer doesn't have the lowest uh, rate of myocarditis. You would think, what is it about the magical combination of Moderna then Pfizer? So I'm just, I'm just curious about that. But then the rates falling with spacing means we, we, we now need to determine what is the optimal spacing that balances the small risk of getting infected in the interval because you have less than perfect uh, than the best immunity you can have to the risk of myocarditis. So what, what do you think that, what did the preprint say was kind of the spot where they saw the, the myocarditis um, rate dropping? Like what spacing is ideal for people? I guess, I gotta double check that. But my reading of the preprint was, it doesn't have the kind of granularity to find the best principle, right. the best. I think it just shows that the more you delayed, the better. But we do know from other data, we know from randomized, or sorry, uh, from an experiment that was run by AstraZeneca and looking at antibody titers, that 
they extended it even to, I think, in the 40-week range. And, and a listener can point this link out to me. I mean, I know that there are studies that have looked at 12 weeks and 16 weeks, and those have much higher dose 2 antibody titers than if you, 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 you cram the doses together. I think the AZ study even looked at 40-week dosing, and they show that if you really delay a long time, you get a really high antibody titer. Um, and, I, and, and, and we have yet to see about durability, but that's a good question. Um, we should also point out that most vaccine series, they don't put the doses so quick together. And then I think the other thing to point out is like, well, why are the doses 21 days and 28 days apart? Are they that way because of first immunologic principles? And the guy who founded BioNTech, the German company that partnered with Pfizer, he himself says that that's not why they're so close together. It doesn't. It's not for immunology reasons. It's to get a win really quickly. They needed yeah. a result quickly because we were in the middle of a global pandemic. But once you get the result, you can do studies. And you know, people know that I'm the biggest proponent of randomized controlled trials. What I would say here is that if you want to do a randomized trial, yeah, do a randomized trial. Randomize people. The you know a after you do the five to eleven approval, randomize kids to the second dose at 21 days, 28 days, 56 days, 64 days, 72 days, 84 days, have several groups and randomize them and then follow them out. You'll get some answers. But we have been unwilling to even do those trials. Why? Because people just want to say this problem doesn't even exist. It's a problem of your mind. They want to gaslight you and say myocarditis after vaccination. It's got to be, it's, you know, it's not as bad. Of course, would you rather get, would you rather get COVID? No. But that's not the choice. The choice isn't getting COVID or getting two doses. It's either getting two doses on this schedule at this dose, getting two doses on a different schedule at a different dose, getting one you know, one dose if you have pre-existing antibody detected. There's so many choices. Which of those is the best choice? Why can't we study that? We can't study that because people have made it a third rail. Why have people made it a third rail? Because they're so scared that if they were to have this honest and open discussion, then people like McCullough, et cetera, or other people who are saying things that are delusional, um, that they would gain credence and, you know, and, and, and that's not a good reason not to, like, optimize safety. And, and the, and the w w worst reason still is this public health delusion that you have to keep a message as simple oh, as God. it can possibly be, whether or not it actually is accurate. But, but I think I, that's, yeah. Yes, but it, is it even, like, I don't know, how, do they even, do people think that the current messaging is simple? No, it's, no. Yeah, it's not, and how is it simple when Germany says, quote, you know, we are actively advising people under the age of 30 to get Pfizer instead of Moderna, but the U.S. doesn't yeah. do that. Is that simple or is that really confusing? Like, oh, <laughs> is Germany wrong? Does Germany not love children in Germany? Do they not love adolescent men in Germany? No, that's more confusing that you're acting like a renegade when other nations are doing sensible things. I mean, I if the... If the Germans love their children too, da da. I miss Sting. He's not dead, but I miss him. L listen, uh, uh, to to he put likes a point to meditate on. Meditate like you, I hear. He's ta he's into tantric sex, oh, which um I would be into if I knew what it was. Yeah, <laughs> I. That's not meditation. I guess what what exactly is meditation? Is it meditation if you? look at your phone and get really angry is that considered meditation it's a type of meditation yeah i do a lot of that it's a, a of that. yeah a, perfect that's a manic meditation which uh, meditation. i don't recommend but i i engage in uh routinely let me just decide yeah. about meditation you know maybe 10 years ago when you would go to the bathroom you know you just go and you do your business and you know you think about things now as you go to the bathroom am i wrong you look for your phone before you go you want to make sure you got your phone when you go there so you have something to look at I am you are not wrong. I'm going to say this one thing about You're this. A little addicted. What I Yeah, yeah, what I found is so I I I've been meditating now 
between two and four hours a day. I get up at the crack of dawn, I go to bed late so that I can get in the meditation. And what I found is when I start the day not looking at any device, not even grabbing my phone, not doing anything, my meditations go so deep as to frighten me. Like I'm seeing like the face of God in those meditations, like just pure consciousness. And But when I start by like, oh, let me just check email, make sure there's no emergencies, just make sure Facebook's okay, nobody's like, you know, I haven't been canceled, like, <laughs> let me just see what's going on. Then I do the meditation, I am distracted with thought, there's this weird compulsion to like stop early and check email, it's really a poison. And so it's, like the, a, it's like the, a mind in the, in virus. The, in the Gita, they say that when you really meditate in your mind, you can think of a candle and you hold the flame steady without it even moving, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah. I don't think we're close to that. But I will tell you, the moment I look in my wake up and I look at my email, I'm like, this is a disaster. I mean, there's, yeah. there's so many things. I'm never going to be able to respond to all of these. I have a busy day ahead of me. Yep. Um, and uh, there's no, I'm not getting close to meditation. And then if I looked in Twitter, it gets worse, but I try not to look because, my God, you know, do you have to watch every car accident? No. Um, <laughs> you know, do you have to watch, do you have to watch all those, what were that, what was that old movie series where they, they'd film like deaths and stuff? You don't have to watch those movies. Oh, you know? yeah. Faces of Death. Faces yeah, of death. yeah, yeah. You know, Twitter yeah. is a Faces of Death series. You don't have to it's look a every snuff, It's, it's yeah, a snuff it film for your sanity. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it is. And then tw <laughs> Facebook, thank God I don't use because, yeah, you know, yeah. Twitter, Twitter, I, <laughs> I have to read the ill informed opinions of people at least i'm you know at least uh, i but, have an ounce but, of respect for but facebook i have to read the ill-informed opinions of people who i don't even you have no respect <laughs> no for respect. but you know the good the, the good news about twitter is you'll always know how a person wants to be identified in terms of their gender at least you'll know that you know because it's spelled right out there even though you know it's a picture of a of an obvious chick you know, and now I'm going to get yelled at for making fun of pronouns, which someone actually asked me, you know, every episode you make fun of pronouns and I can't share it with my pronoun loving colleagues. I'm like, fucking share it. What What are you protecting them from? My I opinion about me, pronouns? Yeah. I guess let me make one defense of it because yes. I feel like. Please do, actually. OK, well, I don't know. I guess I guess the my you defense, can't. No, I'm kidding. No, no. My, my defense <laughs> of it would be that I think that, you know, for people um who um, have not fit like the canonical definition of what it means to be like normal. Sometimes it might be difficult to raise this as an issue. Like I prefer you to call me in a different way. Um, and if everyone does it, it kind of normalizes. So it makes it a little easier for those people. And the reason right. I'm sympathetic is because, um, well, one, I try to be a sympathetic person, <laughs> but also, <laughs> I, but the reason I'm sympathetic is like, I'm somebody who like, you know, no one has pronounced my name correctly for like, right. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how many years I have to live on this planet before I get someone to say my goddamn name. You know, Vinay. I'm like, uh, yeah, or or Vinny or V or you know some crap like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So I was like, I'm waiting, waiting for the good old day. And then you know, honestly, when somebody says your name wrong, do I correct him? No, I just live with it, and you know. But it's awkward when you know you've known someone for like 15 years or 20. You know, and they're and still. still <laughs> I like never, you know. So I guess so. Those are my, you know. But I, but 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 that said. I think there are a number of issues that are very um, politically trendy, and many of the people who link themselves to the politically trendy issues um, are not doing so because of a broader philosophy of how they wish to live in the world, but merely to um, gain the status. And I think that's what we call virtue signal, and I think that's kind of the root of your discontent about that issue. And I would give a different related issue, which I would just take the issue of poor minority children. If I look on Twitter and I look in people's handles and the symbols that they use, you would think that everyone cares a lot about poor minority children, that we finally have achieved some progress. People care about poor minority children. 
But if I were to see their policies about whether or not they want to demand vaccination in Los Angeles County to attend school, I would conclude that they don't give a shit about poor minority yeah. children because they're having a discriminatory policy. So I think that's what's the that, that I think that that might be the pebble in your shoe, which is that you yeah, feel yeah. like. Yeah, I think you nailed it, because, look, I think we both try to be as compassionate as we can. Like when I actually think about the struggles of people who um, have any kind of gender identity issue or issues with, you know, um, you know, anything in the trans community, the LGBTQ plus, whatever it is, when I, I and I, these are a lot of my friends. I, you know, I, I trained at UCSF in, again, in the 90s, like this is important stuff, right? And compassion is the order of the day, especially compassion for what feels like something different than the standard. And I've always felt like I didn't fit in and, and had the similar thing. So that is, goes without saying. When I see this kind of virtue signaling, though, it's upsetting for exactly the reason you say, which is it actually devalues the real struggle. And, you know, the people talk about being allies and so on. And in many ways, it's a condescension, it feels like. It's like, you, well, you're not good enough to take care of yourself. So we're going to go ahead and put our pronouns all over our thing so that you feel okay and you feel safe. And it's like, no, 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 no. They've been through struggles you can't even fucking comprehend uh, with your, you know, with your degree of, of, of life experience. You don't need to put pronouns on to make them feel safe, okay? They've been fighting for this all their lives. Just do it in your policy. Do it in the way you are in the world, right? So th that, that's yeah, my take and, on and, it. And yeah. I think the related is that they, that people on many issues are virtue signaling. They create a, a tribe on Twitter, and then they bully other people on other issues that are unrelated to any of these issues. And, yes. And it is also ironic to me that many of the people who participate in this are themselves white men. <laughs> and they Always. The, yeah, I mean, or often, women, white women, yeah. Yeah, Which, yeah. You know, it, women it have seems different to me... challenges, but they, you know, they, they have always been of the privileged race, so okay, you know, okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know. It's okay, always the case. Like, any, look, any, if, if, there, if, if there were, uh, you know, a, a trans person who emails me and says, listen, I, I, the thing with the pronouns, here's the deal, and I think you should reevaluate. I'll listen so carefully. Like, I will, I will give it all my attention because it comes from a person who's actually suffering. If a white man sends me that, you need to understand about pronouns, I'll be like, fuck off, fuck everything you stand for, and fuck you, right? Because that's my reactance. By the way, one other thing I want to say about meditation that relates to all this. I've done a few shows for my supporters recently about this. So I've, because I've been meditating so much and I did this retreat recently and all of this, one of the interesting side effects they never talk about with meditation is that by really disidentifying from thought and understanding that mind is a kind of a fluctuation in a bigger mind, consciousness itself, you start to reduce some of your resistance to what is actually authentically you. So if you have an emotion, a strong emotion, a raw primal emotion, it used to be you would tell stories about it, beliefs, you'd crump it down with thought and, and ideas. When that starts to relax with a lot of meditation, you can sometimes find yourself in the middle of the day losing your shit, like feeling and inhabiting an emotion that's so powerful and you don't even know where it came from and you're shouting or something or you're just in, you're feeling it in a way that's so raw. And that's part of it. That's part of the process. And so sometimes you'll see me just lose my shit. But I, you know, I, I don't hurt anyone. I hope, and I, I. But but it is. It's inhabiting a kind of a raw experience of what is, rather than resisting, and that's one. Of, that's just part of the path. So I, I, I want to encourage people who meditate, who experience this, and they're like, and they, they'll have a lot of shame. They'll be like, wow, I thought this was supposed to make me feel better. I was supposed to be more, have more equanimity. And yeah, that that can happen. But it can also be that you're just experiencing life in the raw, without the filters, which is actually an important part of the of the journey. 
my only thoughts on meditation is I think it is a, a nice way to remind yourself how small our lives are in the grand picture, mm. uh, which should deliver some humility because, uh, you know, we're always the, the hero of our own story. But the truth is, you know, people aren't looking at us. They don't care what we do. And, you know, <laughs> except for yeah. except for this podcast, which is really popular. <laughs> oh, it's huge. <laughs> except this, this is this is really important stuff we're doing here. OK, anyway, back to the news. Back to the news. <laughs> to the news. Okay. Um, <clears throat> the number needed to exclude. Uh, there's an interesting preprint out. I think I alluded to it uh, on something I said, but it is finally out. It quantifies how many people who are unvaccinated a vaccine passport or mandate has to exclude to prevent one transmission of disease, okay? And it's assuming that the person who's coming in, you know, that they that the unvaccinated person, you know, they got the same rate of SARS-CoV-2, the probability of having SARS-CoV-2 is the community spread. And it's assuming, you know, there might be somebody else there who's quite vulnerable that they could give it to, right? Um, and it calculates this. And I tweeted the link out to this paper. I think it's super important because we have a moral intuition. The moral intuition is if you didn't do the right thing, you don't get to come in here. Get out. Get out. And in San mm. Francisco, you know, they card hard. They card hard and they say, you know, Two doses. They're looking at the day. It's a, I'll tell you a story about that in a second. This paper shows. <laughs> this paper shows that the answer is one thousand. Over one thousand people who are unvaccinated have to be thrown out of a place to prevent one transmission of disease. Now it's a model. There are some parts of the assumptions in the model you can question, but I think more important than what their number is, it's easy to make a moral argument. It's a lot harder and a lot more important to do the math and weigh that against the unintended consequences. You got to mm. do this kind of work if you want to um, if you want to have credibility. And uh, this paper does just that. It does the hard work of calculating a number and saying like, okay, you know, you believe this policy works. It's going to be a thousand people you got to throw out before you prevent one transmission. Is that worth it to you? Is that worth it? The, the, the front staff has to do that. You know, we have to ask those questions. And then the last thing I'd say is I recently, you know, uh, I got all my papers in order. You know, I'm a vaccinated healthcare worker. I recently went to a restaurant in San Francisco, and the person at the front desk was like, they were like denying my card. They were like checking the lot number of Moderna. They want to know what factory it was made in. They're looking wow. at the dates. They're like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And then they told me at the end that you might want to go look into that. You're out of compliance, I think. Oh and I was like, my uh, God. And I was like, I was like, I was like, you, you might want to know that I am obsessed about this issue. <laughs> it's the one issue that I have studied in deep, deep detail. <laughs> and I promise you, I ain't out of compliance with any mandate you have here i can see you're quite worried and you have decided oh. to channel your anxiety into being the most draconian bouncer at this brunch spot <laughs> but, <laughs> but i will assure you that i'm not gonna uh, that that you policing my card in this manner is only gonna ruin my meal and it's not gonna save your life so get out, get out oh, of here man. but that's, that what, is that's, what, that's what happened to me that's insane well no, okay this is great number needed to exclude so how many people do you need to stigma stigmatize torture especially low socioeconomic status different races that tend to be less likely to be vaccinated throw out of your facility permanently damage your business too because they're not coming back because they fucking hate you and um to in order to, to present prevent one transmission which by the way that one transmission statistically what's the likelihood of severe disease and death in a highly vaccinated population Correct. uh it, it's it becomes insane now I, i'm going to push back on one thing here and say i love this example but it is an insane example of an insane town in an insane part of the country, which is our 
town. Um, I doubt that in Georgia they're doing this. I doubt that in Texas they're doing this. I doubt that even in San Diego they might be doing this, although I can be proven wrong. But um, it is a, it's a good case study, and I love the fact that somebody actually did the math on this because it seems a, a pretty stigmatized thing to test. Like, who who's funding that, I wonder, right? Oh, it's, it's probably like a— Unfunded yeah. research. It was research exactly. done by, like, somebody who has— a few functioning neurons left in this bin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Like the person, it's obvious, I, 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 I don't know this to be true. I'm gonna try to interview the person who did this, but I would guess this is what happened. This is somebody who kept hearing people say this, we ought to do this, we ought to do this, we ought to do this. And this person probably had an intuition that, hmm, let me just think about that for a second. Should we do that? And you're like, I wonder how many people you, and then you start to do a little math on the back of an envelope and you're like, actually, it's a, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. it's actually a lot more than you think. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and I know the feeling because there's so many times I read something and I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. I, uh, I, uh, I think that, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be terrible. I mean, when you actually do the math, it's not gonna be worth it. So, I mean, what do you think the number needed to screen is for TSA to prevent one terrorist action? <laughs> I mean, think about that data. But there's a there's you know, and there's a cost to it, right? You I gotta take your answer. shoes off. You're gonna yeah, you do. Okay. No, no, no. I know the answer. You know oh. what the answer is? Yeah. I think it's no. infinity. I think it's infinity. Yeah, actually. that's that's what I think. I think yeah. it's infinity. But the, the thing is, the fact that the, that terrorists think that they're screening is probably maybe a deterrent, but that's about it. Yeah, I think yeah. that. Um, I think you're you're really hitting something, and if that's the case, if it's like the thought that they might catch you is the deterrent, not mm. the actual ability to catch anything is the deterrent. And the reason I say that is I pause for so long is like, you know, it's so funny you said that. I, I, ever since I've been saying that about the shoes and stuff, I really, really went down the rabbit hole looking for an economics paper where they model that. And, um, mm. you know, because it's got to be, I mean, how many billions of people have flown over the last 15 years? The amount of human time that we've wasted, it's got to be like, I don't know, how much economic loss just from missed the screening. Flights. Right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, missed flights or just the fact that like, I mean, everybody, if you stop for a minute, you're wasting a lot of human beings' yeah. time. And yeah. so I tried to weigh that. And I think these papers were arguing that a lot of what we do is really useless. And um, yeah. the TSA is porous. It's a very porous screen. You could probably smuggle a lot of things through. You know, forever, I'll tell you a funny, you know, I used to always, I had a full tube of toothpaste I put in my bag. I, th- I think I went on seven flights before somebody made me squeeze out half of it to get on the plane. <laughs> and by the way, squeezing out half of the toothpaste before you are allowed to go through security that's what saves lives. That's what it saves, saves lives. lives. You know, it saves that, lives. that's it saves why lives. that's why our troops died in Afghanistan, so that we would only have to squeeze out half of it. For not, I, the because, not, <laughs> not the whole tube. Not the whole tube. Exactly. And, and also, you know, squeezing out half the tube of toothpaste. That's that's the cloth mask over the N95, Z Dog. That's the cloth mask <laughs> over the N95. You know how you see that? You see that? You say, like, yeah. I was, yeah. Pe- you know, and people, people, people say that to like, you know, they always say that like, why do you do that? They're like, oh, I, I like to keep it clean. I yeah, was like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I've worn an N95, and one of the pro- I, I never ran up into the problem of it getting filthy. Did you exactly? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, blood I, I was, is one thing. If you get squirted with blood, but you know, come on. I was truffle hunting at the time, so it got pretty dirty. I was going. <laughs> you were wearing to an N95 while truffle hunting. It was hard to it was hard to smell the truffle. Well, you you got to be safe. Hey, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but um, the the zero COVID movement they're still active. You know that? Oh yeah, I they um 
you know, know still even Brett Weinstein was saying that we should drive this this virus to extinction using okay. ivermectin. Yeah. Really? A little different spin on I zero guess COVID. I one good thing, it's already been approved for veterinary populations, so you could give it a good <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, I, I saw these, uh, these zero COVID people, and um, I knew they were serious because I think they're um, – they're practicing sharpshooting. They're going after the deer next. They got a few million deer, yep. some reindeer, yeah. the ferrets. We'll get the ferrets. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned I'm, about the I'm, dogs I'm, and cats, honestly. What about the gorillas in the zoo? I'm going to chain myself to the cage. I won't let them, I won't let them touch those gorillas, those you sweet, know what? sweet animals. That, that poor Harambe, if he were allowed to live, um, would clearly have had a case of severe SARS-CoV-2, would have been intubated. They would have done everything to save what his life. What happened to Harambe? He, what happened to Harambe? He, he got shot. You know, because oh. that there, he pulled that kid into the cage, and the kid was a you know piece of shit. Who like his mom was a piece of shit. I don't know what it was. They let this kid fall through the thing, which is by the way a design problem. And then this poor you know endangered species has to get shot, even though it didn't really mangle the child. It just kind of grabbed it around, tried to do some stuff with it. You know, pretty standard stuff for a gorilla. I missed this story. How many years? Oh, the, oh it was a out. few years. Wikipedia. Few years 2016, ago. Twenty-sixteen, age seventeen, there was a- cause of death gunshot. Yeah. Wikipedia is all over Harambe. Yeah, Wiki. You know, but but it's other gorillas updating his wiki. <laughs> so it's kind of biased. <laughs> Could you imagine if a bunch of gorillas with like a MacBook sitting there like, oh, them, him. It, I don't know. Eventually, I don't know how a gorilla... eventually they type out Shakespeare. You know that. Eventually, you know that. right. Eventually, exactly. Eventually. No, those are chimps. Chimps have a higher IQ than than gorillas. I have no idea if that's true. Well, oh, we'll get way, Diane Fossey on the show. Yeah. Peter Hotez has tweeted that, you know, he's been saying that healthcare workers need the fourth dose, but, quote, no one is listening to him. Wonder why. Wonder. <laughs> <laughs> Peter was on my show in the early days, and and he actually brought up very good points about healthcare worker safety. And then after that, I just saw a bunch of his tweets, and I'm like, I think I'm done interviewing him. I think I'll talk to Paul, because Paul just, I, I don't know. Paul is persona he's... non grata now. He was anti, he wrote that anti-booster op-ed, and I see oh, yeah. people mad Maybe at Maybe that's why I like him so much. He's such a, yeah. he's, he's kind of a renegade. Actually, that, <laughs> I, I respect him a lot for that. Yeah, it's a hard some, stance to take. Somebody yeah. tweeted at him that he was, what was it? He was, you're making it confusing. I was like, was a, again with the confusion. Again you know, with the confusion. You know, it's it's like, it's it's really like if you say anything I disagree with, you're making it confusing, you know? Yeah, yeah, because I'm confused by my own cognitive dissonance. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like, that's what's really, I, I don't know, man. It, it, it it's, it, look, I, I think we've gotten to a point now where a lot of people are fed up. They've been fed up for a while. I think a lot of like rational parts of the country that are just like, yeah, I'm just, I'm done with this. They're, they've already moved on. Then Omicron comes, and now everyone's freaking out. And it, it's like, by you the know, way, uh, I, I, yeah. no, there's the the article on the Atlantic, which is like where I live. No one cares about COVID nineteen, and it was a really, it's a really well written essay. You should check it out. But basically, this guy lives in Southwest Michigan. He's a writer, so he he puts words down on paper eloquently. But his basic argument was like, he's like, you walk around where I live, you talk to people I know, uh, nobody cares about this anymore. They we're don't like, care. We're trying to get back to normal. Yeah. So, so someone on Twitter recently, who I, I think has done a generally a good job, said had a big thread about like, hey, this is what we should do. Like, this is no, this is an endemic thing. You know, we should remove all restrictions. We should allow people to, we should encourage vaccination. If people want to be really safe, they can wear an N95. They can do all this. But um, the, you know, the, the thing that he said is COVID's over when we decide it's over in terms of yeah. as a as a as a national crisis and you just have to you really have to surge up hospitals so that they can have surge capacity focus on that get rid of mandates and um, focus on what matters and i i really generally agree and then immediately the, the usual pronoun squad comes out and they're like but you haven't intubated a 
20-year-old healthy person in the middle of the night, you wouldn't be tweeting this. And it's like, yeah, that's a fallacy called appeal to emotion. It has nothing to do with the bigger picture, and you have Well, you know what? They haven't they, – they didn't serve in the Iraq it, war, so how do they know it was an unjust war? Exactly. Did, I, didn't see, I didn't see their boots on the ground in Iraq. Yep. Um, and and also, they certainly, yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're not taking care of the, you know, nine-year-old African-American kid with a single mom who couldn't go to school and is now set back for how many decades, right? And by the way, if they're, if they're doing all that intubating, then how they got so much time to tweet? I, <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's the phantom zone, Twitter, Twitter it really is. You know, well, you know, like you remember there was that person earlier in the pandemic who was like, um, what was it? It was that story of like, I can't, or the last... The last word somebody said before they were intubated, and then somebody investigated, and they found that like nobody ever had at that particular hospital was hospitalized yeah. with COVID. At the t- yeah, yeah. So some of these stories are fabrications, but yeah, There's, it's an appeal. It's appeal. Like this is policy. We're talking about the lives of uh, eight billion people. I mean, yes, nobody nobody wants anyone to die of COVID, but yes, we also want to maximize the number of kids who can go in school and who get a hot lunch and who, if their parents are beating them, you find the bruises so you prevent them from being beaten for another month. Yeah, we want. We have yep. lots of things in life we want to minimize. Um, and right. the whole point of us talking is trying to do that. Yeah, I would like to minimize inflation that came from pumping money into a system by destroying the economy and then fake printing money. I would love yes. to stop that. So the, the, these are things that you know. Again, reasonable people can talk about this, but then when you when you tweet an appeal to emotion that has that that doesn't acknowledge any of this, you're not very persuasive, right? So it's terrible. I, I really, yeah, I think I think. I think it's important to have these these conversations and to really dive into it, which we try to do on the show, and we have our own biases. But I think um, none at all. I, none I think, at all. Zero. Yeah, not a single bias. N- zero bias. Born yeah. bias you free, have... and will die bias free. <laughs> that sounds like some kind of slogan you. My put only on a flag. bias is excellence. Don't bias on me. My only bias. You know is what? Excellence. You have a bias towards excellence. Yeah. I have a bias against excellence. I look for mediocrity mm. wherever I can. Mm. I have a that's mediocre how you, bias. That's how. You, that's how you decided to pick me as a as a conversation partner. <laughs> Like, I, you know exactly. My my tombstone is going to say he regressed to the mean. That's what. That's, what, <laughs> that's the highest compliment to the mean. Wow. He regressed to the mean. My tombstone is going to say is going to be is going to say you know he might have had a point. He might have had a point. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. He might have had a point. That's really good. Point, yeah. I, yeah, we should we should come up. You know what? I bet we could make a lot of money coming up with like really clever epitaphs that are slightly grim. Put yeah, put them on a t-shirt. t-shirt. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Tombstone days, wisdom. Yeah. These days, it's hard to make a joke, man. It's hard to be a comedian. Oh, I pity no, them. You can't do it. You, I, I pity yep. them. Yep, Mr. T. There's always fly today someone because he'd be shaming always, people or half There's always bald. someone with yeah. a lemon face. They just sucked on the rind of a lemon. Their face is all contorted. You can't make Ooh. them laugh. Not gonna laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. You know. By the way, so I've been doing a meditation. It's a Zen meditation called Mu. It's a koan, K O A N, which is a type of Zen approach to kind of perplexing the mind into awakening. Uh, and it, mm-hmm. so it, 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 and and the way that the way that Mu works is there was this ancient Chinese Zen master, and he was asked by a pilgrim, "Hey, does a dog have Buddha nature?" And Buddha nature is just like our true nature, like whatever that mm-hmm. is, right? consciousness, mm-hmm. whatever it is. So all that all that this master said was Mu, which came from a Chinese Wu, which literally means nothing or 
empty or something like that. But the literal meaning doesn't matter. It was the it was the brush off response and this word moo. So the meditation is you meditate on moo. What is moo? What is moo? What did he mean? What is moo? And then it becomes non-conceptual. And the next thing you know, everything is moo. It's like the, the world looks like it's the matrix made of moo. And you realize, oh, I and the world are not two. And then everything mm-hmm. is just, ah, and then something can happen. Well, anyways, long story short, my new pronouns, because everything is moo, are moo slash moo. And I'm sticking with it. I'm going to put it on Twitter. And that way, people who are awake aren't shamed. People who are asleep aren't shamed. And I've done my pronoun virtue signaling. What do you think? This moo story is very beautiful. So I just can't, uh, I'm just curious when Disney is going to turn it into a movie for children. So that's really what Mulan? Yeah. (laughs) No. Is Mulan? No. They're going to have some new... Like Kung Fu Panda movie. Oh, you're totally right. Where Shifu, the the you know the the ferret or whatever, is like, you know, you must meditate on Mu, and it's like some racist caricature of you know some you know ancient what Chinese. What was that other? Zen. What was that other movie? Oh, was it The Last Samurai? Where on his deathbed he realized about which, uh, the perfect cherry blossom. Oh, they're, they're all. Oh perfect. yeah, what? Yeah, they're all perfect. They're all perfect. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Mu, Mu. The answer is Mu. Uh, you know what's crazy is you're supposed to hold moo in your mind all day as much as you can and during meditation just moo, 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 moo. And you sound like a damn cow in your head. But when it when it hits, and a couple times it's really hit for me, like it, it is, it's literally like everything is one thing. Holy crap. And it becomes visceral. You can't even talk about it. And then the mind starts telling you stories about it. Oh, remember that time you really experienced moo? And you're like, God damn you mind. You suck so much. Just shut up. <laughs> I want to go back to that. It's interesting. Uh, it's it has the fa- M sound because the OM is also the word people anchor on that M sound. It kind of yes. resonates in your chest. Okay, it wait, does. one last thing. One last thing to tell you before our time's up. Uh, the LA school mandate, you know, I've been on them. I've been on them. Yeah, because yeah, I think yeah. it's, Good. You know, we talked about it in the last episode. They have, uh, I think they're suspending it. They've announced they're going to suspend Ooh. it because they don't have the guts. No, that's not the reason. They heard Vinay. I mean, the the prospect of excluding 30,000, 37,000 children, um, I would have hoped would give them some pause. But in the discussion, somebody has put an excerpt from this discussion from a Zoom meeting or something like that, or some closed circuit TV meeting. Um, they, they don't say that the reason we backed down was that we actually care about these children. They said the reason we backed down is we don't want to punish the good kids who did the who got the vaccine which to me and 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 i'm not exactly sure how excluding other kids would have punished them but but i was just like the logic is like they don't they still don't get it they don't get it (laughs) they just don't get it and i was like these not at all you know i mean i don't know we're gonna have to have some serious reform here about um there needs to be a new agency and its goal has to be like championing the interests of children in the face of politics and political pressure and unions and all this other stuff. And uh, we need a kids union. We need a kids union. And and the leader should not be a child though, because they'll just be like, we want more candy. Uh, I think it should be boss. More video games should be boss Boss baby. baby. Boss Boss baby. Baby be a great leader, you know, and didn't, uh, yeah. Wasn't, didn't Alec Baldwin pay play boss baby. He didn't shoot anyone in that film too. Yeah. I was going to say it's hard to shoot. In a cartoon from the real world, that, that there's a there's a divide, right? And there's but no in the end, in the everything suit. there's no holster in the suit in Boston. There's no exactly. There's no armor, but everything is moo. So it's we we are I the think, bullet and the was, shooter. Was Boss Baby? But yeah, I'll I tell think you, he was Boss Baby. It won't be the AAP. I don't think they're gonna be doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say it. They're, they're, uh, they're not gonna. They're not gonna uh, do that toddler masking recommendation. I I don't think they're gonna 
that's going to come back to bite them. I'm pretty sure. Man, well, uh, let's hope that we have a lot of reform across the board in our organizations. But you have moles everywhere, apparently. Oh, I to, have moles. Know, to, I do. Yeah. L look yeah. over your look over your left shoulder. You see that guy sitting back there? He works for me. Where? Wow, where'd he come from? I thought I was yeah. alone. You, yeah. you got you got moles and, and you different know there. area codes. He's there, he's there to enforce uh, the vax mandate. Oh, so he's a Molly McVax mandate enforcer guy. That's great. We all need a Molly McVax mandate enforcer guy in our lives. <laughs> this has gone off the rails, my brother. All right. Until next time. <laughs> did we do, Until next did time. Did we do all the news? We did everything, right? Well, I had other things written down, but we squandered a uh. great <laughs> we, squand <laughs> we squandered some time. Now it comes up. Yeah. Okay. All right, we got to go. Guys, we love you. Share the show. Subscribe. Leave a review. That helps us a ton. Check out Vinay's podcast, Plenary Session, and check out my podcast, The Z-Dog MD Show, and keep us at the top of the charts so that these conversations get heard, guys. We love you, and we are out.